Hello and welcome in to the Floor Slap Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Sean. I want to apologize in advance if my voice sounds a little funny. I am, I am a little bit under the weather today. Uh, my brother actually got married this weekend, so naturally I had a few days of pretty heavy drinking, which I guess my body just isn't built for anymore. Uh, also made putting together this episode a little bit more difficult than usual. I missed out on a lot of college football on Saturday, so I had to catch up um, while I was woefully hungover on Sunday, which was a lot of fun. But uh, nonetheless, we have a great episode ahead of ourselves, you know, recapping all the Big Ten action from this past weekend, um, going into, you know, helmet stickers, game of the week, team of the week. Um, and then I'm going to touch on why SEC favoritism in the AP poll, you know, it's still around this, uh, this year, even though the SEC is not nearly as good as it's been in the past. And it's really just gotten to a point where it's, it's sickening and nauseating. And I have to talk about it. Um, I'm also going to touch on you know, USC, why in a season that's as wide open as we've seen and um, upwards of 15 years, why I feel pretty confident early on that USC is not one of the 11 plus teams that I could see getting into the playoff and winning a game. Um, then I'll get into previewing week six's action and giving you my five locks, which is uh, still hovering above 55%, um, which is you know where we're trying to be so we can win you guys some money. So I uh, won't waste any more time. Got another busy episode ahead of ourselves, so let's jump right into it. This is the Floor Slap Podcast. All right, so I'm going to touch on most of the games we saw from the Big Ten in Week 5. Um, from what was a weekend that really did not have too many competitive matchups in the Big Ten. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, we I think we learned a lot about a lot of these teams and kind of what direction they're going to go in this season. Uh, the first game I'm going to talk about is Illinois uh, against Purdue. It was a back-and-forth first half. Uh, Purdue was up 16-13 at halftime, but a scoring flurry in the third quarter essentially ended the game by the time the fourth quarter started. Uh, Purdue won 44-19 for their first home win. Uh, both Illinois and Purdue now sit at 2-3 and three on the season, um, but Purdue's 1-1 one one in the conference, and Illinois is now at 0-2, making it um, almost impossible for them to claw back into this Big Ten West race. Um, but I'll start off on the, the Purdue side of things, because um, really it's what we saw on Saturday from them is a complete 180 from what we've seen the past two games. Um, you know, the, the defense definitely bent. They gave up 275 yards, over seven yards in attempt through the air, and almost four and a half yards per carry on the ground. Nothing, you know, that is kind of, you know, nothing disgusting by any means, but um, Illinois was definitely able to move the ball on them. But the big difference with what we saw from Purdue's defense this weekend uh, compared to really what we've seen the rest of the season so far is Purdue was able to make the big plays that have been lacking for the majority of the season. Uh, they held Illinois for, to two for 13 on third down, which is 15%. They had a strip sack in the first quarter that was recovered in the end zone for the game's first touchdown. Uh, they had five sacks and seven TFLs. Um, so really their defense can afford to give up yards like they did against Illinois if they can keep teams out of the end zone, uh, mainly because their offense is finally clicking. And it wasn't just what we saw on Saturday against Illinois. It really started to turn around in that second half against Wisconsin. You know, I think it, they just played with a little more urgency and a little bit more pace. And I think that's kind of bled into this weekend. Um, so really over the past six quarters, Purdue's offense has been night and day. Like I said, they've gone more up-tempo and have been more effective with it. Uh, Hudson Card is taking care of the football, and he's been able to push the ball downfield. And I think they finally started to figure out that balance at running back rotation with Maccabee and Tracy and Downing. Uh, speaking of Tyrone Tracy, you know, he's finally seeing the volume that he really deserves because he is really explosive. Um, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, you might have seen I was asking, why is, am I the only one that thinks Tyrone Tracy needs the ball more? Um, maybe Ryan Walters saw that. Uh, because he got he got his share. Um, he got a helmet sticker. I'll touch on his performance later in this episode. Um, but they finally seem to have kind of nailed down that running back rotation, and the offensive line the past six quarters has been getting a steady push. Um, and the run game for Purdue, you know, even though this is kind of labeled as an air raid attack under Graham Harrell, the run game is really the pulse uh, for this offense that allows everything else to work. But the most important thing I've seen out of Purdue from the past six quarters is they've only had four penalties for 30 yards. And that was a huge issue when they uh, got 
beaten by Syracuse, a huge issue in that first half against Wisconsin, a big reason why the game got out of hand so quickly. So um, it's really great to see how quickly they've kind of cleaned up um, really those mistakes. Uh, you know, that second half against Syracuse and that first half against Wisconsin was really, really ugly football from Purdue. It was mistake-prone on the defensive side and just arrhythmic offensively. But outside of that stretch, Purdue, for the most part, has looked like a good football team so far this season. Um, I know that Wisconsin lost stings. It's really going to make it tough for them to win the West with that loss already. Um under their wing and you know even with a win against Iowa this weekend which is definitely very possible I'm going to preview that game later um, but it's looking like Purdue's going to need to upset either Ohio State or Michigan to to win the West but to be fair I don't think many Boilermaker fans were heading into the season thinking they were going to win the Big Ten West you know this is about kind of setting the culture setting the tone for Ryan Walters first year and they definitely had some speed bumps in the first few games but I think this is the game they needed to kind of set the course and I think we're going to see more of this Purdue football team that we've that we saw Saturday against Illinois for the rest of the year um switching to the other side Illinois you know what I feel like coming into this season, uh, when I was doing my Big Ten preview, I had a pretty good read on every team in the Big Ten. I don't think I was too far off with anyone except for Illinois. I was definitely wrong about Illinois, and it mainly stems from the defensive side of the ball. Um, Because this defense was supposed to be able to lean on one of the nation's best defensive fronts um, while that back end develops. Um, Because Illinois, the past two seasons, they've improved drastically over the course of the season on the defensive side of the ball. So in my mind, it was reasonable to assume that these young defensive backs would develop into real playmakers by the middle of the season. Um, Especially, like I said, playing behind a really strong defensive front. But top to bottom, this defense has just been torn apart in virtually every game. Um, They are below 100th in the country. So the bottom 24% in college football in scoring defense, passing defense total defense, opponent yards per play, first downs allowed, and turnovers forced. Um, The only reason their pass defense um, isn't down there, you know, their pass defense is hanging around 75th nationally in most metrics. Um, The only reason their pass defense isn't as bad as the rest of the defense statistically is because opponents know they can just steamroll Illinois on the ground. So, I mean, it's really hard to find much positives from what we've seen defensively um, out of Illinois. I thought Brett Bielema, along with the promotion of defensive back coach Aaron Henry to defensive coordinator, had a handle on this defense. Um, you know, I contributed a lot of uh, Illinois' great defensive backs the first few years to Aaron Henry. Um, but this defense almost looks worse as the season's gone on. And I'm starting to think, you know, Ryan Walters, obviously, he came over from Illinois as their defensive coordinator. Maybe he had a lot more to do with that defense becoming as great as it was as I thought, you know, I thought it was kind of a shared, um, you know, shared credit between him, Aaron Henry and Brett Bielema. But um, I don't know, you know, it could be talent, but it, whatever it is, the Illinois defense is looking really tough and not tough, like good, like tough, like it's, it's tough to watch. Um, and it's a shame their defense has been so horrific because their offense hasn't really been horrible. Um, and I think it could be a lot more. It could be a lot better if they had more of an opportunity to play with a lead. Uh, they're in the top half of the Big Ten in pass offense, completion percentage, total offense, and first downs. I still like Luke Altmaier as a prospect, and I think he can develop um, into a really great player over these next few years. He has a good arm. He's shown he has really good ball placement. He has underrated mobility. Um, but you can just tell this is his first year as a starter, and he's with the coaching staff that you know doesn't hang its cap on its ability to develop a quarterback doesn't run a, a super quarterback friendly offense and you can just see that he's not super reliable as a decision maker and it's a problem because he's being asked to do way too much in this offense because their defense has been so bad and because their run game has not been very effective so uh it's it's just really all kind of falling apart for illinois they really needed to be able to lean on a strong run game and a strong defense like they did last year in order to replicate their success and even improve from last year um and it's just not happening you know hopefully i really hope they can retain luke altmeyer i can't imagine he would want to go elsewhere but you know who knows these days with nil um but if they can keep luke altmeyer for the next couple seasons i think as a program illinois is still in an okay position i still think brett bielema is a good coach and they should be a bowl caliber team um when the big Ten expands next year but as far as trying to get to a bowl game this year it's going to be a dogfight, and i don't see them winning that fight um, which really makes this season a failure for Brett Bielema, unfortunately. Um, but it's still early. They could turn it around. I just haven't loved what I've seen out of Illinois by any means so far this season. Next, I'm going to touch on uh, Maryland, Indiana. 
it was really just swift domination from uh, Maryland's point. Um, they jumped out to a 21-3 lead in the first quarter and really never looked back. Indiana got a couple fourth-quarter touchdowns when the game was already out of the reach. Um, so Maryland lo- moves to 5-0 with a 44-17 win over the Hoosiers, who fall to 2-3, 0-2 in the Big Ten. I'll start with Maryland, and really my main takeaway was that they did what they were supposed to. This was an overmatched opponent that um, Maryland should have taken care of pretty easily, They and they did. They disposed of them right away. Um, and they did not look ahead to their match, their big matchup against Ohio State in Columbus this weekend. Like I thought they might. Um, that's a testament to Mike Loxley's leadership. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa is still, I think, one of the most underrated players in this entire country. And frankly, Maryland as a team is the most underrated and disrespected team in the country. Um, yeah, I'll touch on this later, but I just cannot fathom the fact that they're not ranked um, in the AP poll or the coaches poll, while LSU is with two losses. I mean, this is a team that scored over 30 points in each of their first five games this season. First time they've done that in school history. They're top three in the Big Ten in total offense, pass offense, yards per carry, completion percentage, first downs, and turnovers. Um, so really, across the board, they are one of the best offenses in the Big Ten. Um, the offensive line has also been a lot better than last year. I know they had a ton of uh, player turnover and they had to do a lot of reshuffling with players moving to different positions, but they're fifth nationally right now with only three sacks allowed. Um, this is a complete offense. I mean, Talia Tungavaiola is a great leader. He has great command of this offense. They can run the ball and they're keeping him upright, which is the biggest thing. He hasn't been able to get through a full season healthy yet. Um, and if this offensive line continues to play the way uh, they have been, um, he has a really good chance to play in all 12 games, um, and that means they have a really good chance to you know, creep up into the rankings and have a really special season at College Park. And defensively for Maryland, it, it is still kind of hard to tell where they're at. Um, because you know there's advanced stats like rush uh, rushing success rate allowed and stuff rate that says they have one of the worst run defenses in the country. But at the same time, they are top 50 nationally in rush yards and yards per carry allowed. They forced a lot of turnovers. They're 8th nationally in turnovers forced per game. Um, and they have been rushing the quarterback a lot better than they did last year, which is one of their main weaknesses. Um, they have 13 sacks so far this season. The problem is they haven't really played a good offense yet. Their biggest challenge was Charlotte. I guess, I mean, maybe Virginia, um, I mean, but Michigan State even last week was able to move the ball again, um, up and down the field pretty well against them last week. They just couldn't get into the end zone, which to Maryland's credit, that's what really matters. They kept them out of the end zone. They forced for uh, five turnovers. So good for Maryland. I'm not trying to you know, demean that win at all. It's just hard to get a read on where they really are on defense. That being said, they should be heavily favored in every game the rest of the season with the exception of Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. So a 9-3 season and uh, finishing the regular season ranked uh, is very much on the table. And if they are able to force turnovers and control field position against Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, um, like they have been for you know their first five games, Maryland has a really good chance of pulling up an upset, pulling off an upset against one of those uh, three teams. And they'll have their first uh, chance to do so this weekend against Ohio State. Um, but flipping the script to Indiana's side, uh, this season has just turned into a dumpster fire really quickly. Because I really liked what I saw from their defense in the first three games. Um, and I thought that would be enough for, for them to just stay in a lot of games and allow Taven Jackson to develop a little bit more. Because you know he doesn't have to go out there and score 40 points. Um, but the Indiana defense has just been torn apart the past two weeks. You know, you can forgive them getting torn apart against an offense like Maryland, but remember, they played Akron last week, and they they look just as bad. Um, they just aren't playing with that same spark and physicality that they were in the first few games. And offensively, it's frustrating because I still think Taven Jackson, Cam Camper, and Jalen Lucas are a talented trio that should be able to give some defenses trouble. Uh, you know, granted, Taven Jackson, very similar to Luke Altmyer, like, you can just tell this is his first year starting, um, but... It really comes down to the offensive line play more so than anything. Um, the offensive line just has fundamental problems that I don't think can be fixed this season. Uh, they fired their offensive coordinator, Walt Bell, but to me that just kind of seems like a deflection of blame on Tom Allen's part until he ultimately gets to boot. Because, you know, they have a bye this week, you know, who knows. With a, they, Sometimes a change like that can spark um, something in a team. They have an extra week, so, you know, who knows if they can kind of rebound, but out of that bye week, they have to travel to Michigan, and then they host Rutgers, and then they travel to Penn State. So I think if Rutgers beats up on Indiana like Maryland just did, 
I don't see Tom Allen making it to November. Um, I know so many Indiana fans were just hoping, can we just get to a bowl game? And in the first three games, I thought it looked like this team had what it takes to maybe pull off a couple upsets and, and make and get to that six win mark. Uh, it just doesn't seem, seem like it. And yeah, I said coming into the season, I didn't think Tom Allen would make it to the end of the season. Um, and it, so far, it looks like my assumptions were confirmed. I could be jumping the gun, but yeah, I don't see the way, um, Indiana's playing right now. I don't see Tom Allen uh, making it to the end of the season for the Hoosiers. And next, I'll move on to uh, Louisiana Lafayette, who traveled to take on Minnesota, coming off that heartbreaking loss on the road to Northwestern. Uh, one of the tougher losses I think P.J. Fleck has had to endure in his career at Minnesota. Um, but I loved what I saw from the Gophers, because finally, they did what I said they should have done, they should do last week, and frankly, what they should have been doing since that ugly week one win against Nebraska, and that's just run the damn ball. Take the game out of Ethan Kalikmanis' hands, because the more he throws the ball, I mean, the more opportunities there is to just hand it to the other team. Um, so Minnesota played an underrated, underrated Louisiana team. Um, that had one of the nation's most balanced, balanced offenses coming in, and Maryland just sat on the ball. They ran it 51 times compared to only 14 pass attempts. They dominated the time of possession, possessing the ball for nearly 12 minutes longer than Louisiana did, um, and that should be their recipe for success moving forward. Because they didn't even have Darius Taylor in this game. You know, their fantastic two freshman running back um, who had won Big Ten Freshman of the Week three weeks in a row. Um, he was out for that game. Um, but they proved to have another dynamic freshman running back in Zach Evans. Um, I'll touch on his performance later. And, and Sean Tyler, the Western Michigan transfer, he's still there as an effective, I guess, third down type back. Because um, he isn't, I guess, as we're finding out, as great between the tackles. But um, he's a great guy to have on the third down. And I think he's really kind of emerging as their tertiary back. So, um, you know, they have the backfield and I think a decent enough offensive line to grind out um, yards on the ground like they did against Louisiana. They can do this against Big Ten West teams. And they have the receivers uh, to make a few plays off of play action every game. Um, so I think they really need to play an ugly style of football offensively and really embrace that as their identity if they want to try to claw back into this Big Ten West race. Um, but defensively, there are still problems. You know, like I thought at the beginning of the season, this is just not a defense that can impose its will on opposing teams. Um, and I think what makes playing ugly offensively a little tougher is the fact that they can't lean on a defense that's, you know, won't give up more than 20 points a game. Um, but they were able to force two turnovers against Louisiana, which is huge because, listen, if they aren't going to be a great run defense, which they aren't, if they're not going to be a great pass defense, which they aren't, or a third down defense, which they aren't, and if they aren't going to get a lot of sacks and, uh, you know, tackles behind the line of scrimmage, which they aren't, they need to force turnovers. So guys like Tyler Newbin, and Jack Henderson, and Danny Strigo on that on defensive line, they need to continue to come up with big plays like they have been. Um, they were able to do it against the Louisiana offense that I think is as good, maybe better than a lot of those offenses in the Big Ten West. Um, so Gopher fans can, I think, have hope um, that this style of play that they uh, saw on Saturday can be sustainable into the, the you know thickness of the Big Ten uh, season as that kind of gets underway. Um, so I just, it's going to, a lot of games moving forward for Gopher fans and I, Gopher fans might not be pretty to watch. Um, but I think it's about time you really embrace that ugly style of big 10 West football. Um, cause that's going to be your only recipe for success. If Ethan Calicmanis is out there throwing the ball 25 times a game, um, I can't imagine there's a ton of scenarios where that ends up, um, in Minnesota's favor. It was a you know pretty light week of Big Ten football with um, a lot of teams getting their first bye week of the season. So I'm going to jump right now into game of the week, which is going to go to Iowa-Michigan State. And honestly, it pains me uh, to kind of recognize this as game of the week. Like, I can't believe I'm crowning that ugly game with an honor like this. Um, but it was the closest matchup we had on Saturday. Uh, Michigan State actually outgained Iowa by 127 yards, had five more first downs than the Hawkeyes, possessed the ball for seven and a half minutes longer, and held the Hawkeyes to 2.3 yards per carry, and they forced her two turnovers. Now, if I told you that heading into the game, I think everyone would assume Michigan State won that game, but somehow they lost. Um, so thanks in part to a Cal Halliday scoop and score, Spartans held a 16-13 lead going into the fourth quarter, but a 15-yard punt uh, set up an Iowa field goal after they really couldn't do anything with the great field position. 
And then another low punt set up a Cooper DeGene 70-yard punt return touchdown that gave the Hawkeyes the lead um, and essentially ended the game because, you know, Michigan State could not do much offensively. Um, but first, hats off to Michigan State's defense. They came to play. Um, and frankly, they've had a really great season so far, with the exception of that Washington game, which, I mean, is one of the best offenses in the entire country. Michael Penix is my Heisman favorite, and it was just the worst timing possible with the Mel Tucker news coming out less than a week before that game kicked off. Um, but, you know, this defense is, I, you know, I thought coming into this season, if their defense, if I knew their defense would play as well as they have been, I would have said Michigan State easily gets to a bowl game um, and has a really good chance to upset one of those, you know, three powerhouses in the Big Ten East. Um, but this offense just does not have a pulse. Um, a week after committing five turnovers against Maryland, they coughed up the ball four more times against Iowa. Uh, Noah Kim accounted for three of them with three interceptions, and he had less than four and a half yards per attempt. Um, and Noah Kim is really just a shell of the player we fought, saw in the first couple games. You know, he was playing, um, you know, freely. He was playing with Moxie. He had some, you know, showed some really good ball placement. Um, but he's just fallen apart the past few games. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, things going on around him. But I wasn't sure he should even start this game. And the fact that they continue to trot him out series after series without giving Kaden Hoser uh, even a chance, I think is coaching malpractice. And as far as I'm concerned, the season's over for Michigan State. I mean, they aren't making a bowl game. Um, anything more than four wins at this point, because um, they're sitting at two and three, I think would surprise me. The coaching staff is just disjointed. Um, and I think the Spartans fans really only hope is they make the right hire. It doesn't have to be a splash hire. It has to be the right hire this offseason. I think they have to go into this offseason realizing who they are as Michigan State. They are not a top 20 program in the country. I've seen some Michigan State fans on Twitter trying to claim that they are. Um, it's They have to embrace the fact that in this new look, Big Ten West, they are, you know, an eight-win season should be good for Michigan State moving forward. And they can work off of that, but they cannot go in thinking it's Urban Meyer or Bus. We need a coach that can bring us to a national championship because um, that's just not who you guys are. Um, and if you make the wrong hire, if you go sell out on some big name that you think is going to, you know, um, help you with NIL and bring in top recruiting classes and you whiff again, Michigan State is on the verge of becoming the Vanderbilt of the new look Big Ten. You know, Vanderbilt has not done anything um, that I can remember in the SEC for the past 20 years. Um, so, I mean, Michigan State has to be very careful. And, you know, if I'm a Spartan fan, I'm doing as best I can to emotionally separate myself from this team for the rest of the season and just hope that this hiring decision goes well. Um, and then on the Iowa side, who you know pulled out a gutsy win, um, they still only have one loss on the season, but if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm just not sure how I can feel good coming out of this win. Um, this, I mean, this has got to be the saddest four-in-one team in the country. I mean, their special teams is still great, and they have you know just enough playmakers on the defensive side of the ball to, I think, stay in the thick of the Big Ten West race um, and stay competitive with really any team for the most part in that sorry division. Um, but the offense is just same story, different week. And Cade McNamara is now out for the season, and I'm not sure how things get better with Cade McNamara out. And I think there's some people ho holding out hope that Deacon Hill can, you know, come in um, and make a difference. You know, he's a lot bigger than Cade McNamara, probably more mobile. He was a four-star prospect um, in the 2021 class and then enrolled at Wisconsin. But listen, he's new to this offense and this program as well. And he hasn't necessarily impressed with his limited action so far this season. He's completed 15 of 35 passes. Um, and frankly, I just think the offensive line is so bad, I'm not sure who they could trot out there that would make this a competent unit. Um, and not only that, but it's this isn't just not a quarterback-friendly offense. They're not giving quarterbacks any easy throws, and I know, I know, I've said this before, I know there's talent on that offense, and they just don't know how to use it. Um, just, it's a tough team to watch. Iowa still very well could go 9-3, and get to a respectable bowl game, and somehow win 10 games this season and finish as a top-20 team, which, I mean, just watching them right now, you know they're not a top-20 team, but you know how that's how the season could shake out because the Big Ten West is so bad. Um, even if that happens, even if they finish the season as a top-20 team with 10 wins, it still just feels like Kirk Ferentz is slowly losing his grip on this program because he continues to put faith in his son as offensive coordinator and he continues to show no effort whatsoever to generate some you know creativity offensively 
because um, you know if you follow the NFL, the Steelers, you know they just got blown out by the Texans. Their offense has looked, you know, pretty similarly as bad as Iowa's had. Um, and Mike Tomlin after that game said, "You can guarantee that we are making some changes." And you haven't heard that from uh, Kirk Ferentz. You're like, "Oh, well, we'll just continue to try to get better. That's what we do every week." Like, no, this is a team that was supposed to, you know, be able to hang with uh, Wisconsin and Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan, like. It's just frustrating. I'm not even an Iowa fan, and I can only relate with how they're feeling right now. So um, we'll see. I mean, it's all the Big Ten West race is probably going to come down to their trip to Wisconsin. So if they can some, if they're maybe saving something for that game, if they can maybe muster out a really ugly win in Madison, um, they can salvage the season. But you know, if they were playing this weekend, I would put all my money on Wisconsin winning. I don't care what the line is. I would just take take the money line. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll assess that game when we get there, but it has definitely been a tough start for the season for Iowa, despite their four and one start. And, uh, the team of the week in the big 10 from week five, I'm going to give that honors to the Michigan Wolverines who finally put their most complete game of the season together, finally looked like a truly dominant team and one that's you know worthy consideration of the number one team in the country. They won 45-7 to against Nebraska in Lincoln, only giving up a long 74-yard touchdown late in the fourth quarter. It really was just utter domination from them. The offensive line, I think, finally started to look like the unit that won back-to-back Jim Moore awards. It's been kind of a slower start to the season for them as we're used to the past couple seasons, um, but they looked a lot better against a Nebraska front that has given a lot of team challenges uh, so far this season. J.J. McCarthy was you know, as, as efficient as he's been this season. He took care of the ball. Um, I would have liked to see them push the ball downfield a little bit more because that's still really my only question I have about this team, uh, but they didn't have to, so I, I understand them just taking that win, um, and defensively, they had four sacks and four TFLs, they held Nebraska to 30% on third down and one of three on fourth, um, Michigan did not commit a turnover or a penalty, and they possessed the ball for 16 minutes longer than Nebraska. So, I mean, if that's not the definition of Michigan football, I don't know what is. They just dominated Nebraska um, in a game that I thought Nebraska might be able to keep close, just based off of you know inconsistent play from Michigan's early in the season and the improvement I've seen out of Nebraska um, the past couple weeks with Heinrich Harburg at quarterback. Um, so I was really impressed with what I saw in Michigan. They are uh, far and away uh, the team of the week. Um, in week five out of the Big Ten. And finally, as we wrap up recapping week five of the Big Ten season, uh, gonna give out helmet stickers as I always do. First one is gonna go to Maryland quarterback Talia Tunga Viola, who had arguably his best game of the, of the young season, going 24 34 for 352 yards and six total touchdowns. Uh, I always love. Um, when a quarterback can get above uh, 10 yards in attempt. It really just show illustrates um, efficiency. Uh, second, as I mentioned before, Minnesota freshman running back Zach Evans really stepped up in Darius Taylor's absence. Uh, he led the team with 85 yards and a touchdown on nearly six yards of carry. Um, and I'll give it to another running back as well, who I mentioned earlier, Purdue running back Tyrone Tracy. I feel like it's been a long time coming for him to kind of not necessarily take over this backfield, but play a more prominent role and get more volume. And he did just that on Saturday. He had 112 yards and a touchdown on 5.3 yards of carry. Um, and this week, we're going to give a little bit more love to the defensive side of the ball um, than we have in weeks past. Uh, the first helmet sticker I'm giving to on the defensive side of the ball is Michigan defensive end Josiah Stewart. Um, now, he was that transfer from Coastal Carolina, one of the kind of, I guess, splashier transfer additions they had on the defensive side of the ball. He was supposed to be an impact player, and he's had kind of a slow start to the season, but he finally arrived for the Wolverines on Saturday. He had five tackles and two sacks. Um, and two tackles for losses. And um, I'm going to actually give two helmet stickers to a couple Hawkeyes on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the first is going to be their linebacker, Nick Jackson, who's been their leader um, in that front all season long. He once again led them in tackles with 10. He also had a tackle for loss in a quarterback hurry. Um, and then, but the real star of the game, the real probably player of the week, in my opinion, out of the Big Ten, um, Cooper DeGene who I he was my choice for defensive um, defensive back of the year in the Big Ten coming into this season, and he had kind of a slow start. He hasn't had a ton of impact plays. He's been really good in pass coverage, as he always has, but um, you know he just hasn't had an opportunity to make those you know big plays like we're used to seeing out of him, like he did so much last year. But he had a huge day for the Hawkeyes against Michigan State. 
He had 10 tackles and an interception. He was targeted seven times and allowed only 28 yards. Um, Noah Kim had a 15 passer rating when he targeted Cooper DeGene, but most importantly, he had that 70-yard punt return touchdown in the fourth quarter to give the Hawkeyes a lead that they would not give up. Um, and I'm also going to give one to Rutgers, who I didn't mention before. They played Wagner this weekend, just beat the brakes off, off of them. And in case you don't know who Wagner is, they are an FCS team who has not won more than a single game in a season since, I think it was 2018. So, I mean, they're as bad of a team as anyone in the Big Ten is going to play this year. Um, but still have to give some love to Aaron Lewis, who had a great game for them. Five tackles, two sacks, and two TFLs. Um, and then finally, last helmet sticker of the week is going to go to Penn State defensive tackle Zane Durant, who had four tackles, a sack, and three TFLs, his first big game of the season for the Nittany Lions. So, um, you know, in a game where kind of we didn't see a whole lot of competition, but defenses uh, definitely ruled in week five. Before I get into previewing week six, uh, there are a few things that I just have to get off my chest after, you know, now we're kind of entering the mi midway point of the college football season. Um, and the first one's about the AP poll. I don't know why I let the AP poll fire me up so much because, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't have any impact on, you know, who gets to the college football playoff, what bowl game uh, teams go to. Um, but I guess in my favor, I guess why I do get so fired up because it does influence public opinion. And especially for the college casual college football fan who's not watching every game every weekend they just look to the ap poll to see who's good and listen i know we're all used to the sec favoritism in the ap poll um and you know a lot of a lot of years in the past it's been justified because the sec has been a lot better than every other conference but that is just not the case anymore i mean the pac-12 seems like the best conference and then the sec and acc kind of jockeying for second best and then big 10 is right behind them like there isn't a clear hierarchy and you cannot just point to the sec and say oh yeah they're far and away they have the best teams best competition it's not the case this year and what what really upsets me in this poll is a couple things um, the main thing is that Tennessee and LSU are both ranked, um, while leaving undefeated teams like Maryland and Marshall on the outside looking in. Like Those are the teams that deserve recognition. At this point in the season, there are 21 undefeated college football teams. We should be aiming to recognize as many of those as possible because it's hard to win college football games. Um, and I just cannot fathom what people have seen in Tennessee or LSU that makes them think that they are deserving of being ranked. Um, I'll start with Tennessee who got dog-walked by Florida, a Florida team that just got dog-walked themselves by Kentucky. Um, and listen, you know, Kentucky looks like a good team. They deserve to be ranked in the top 20. Um, but they're, it, it's just, they did not look good at all against Florida. And you look at their other wins, it was against Virginia, one of the worst Power 5 teams in the entire country, um, Austin P and UTSA, and then they just beat South Carolina. Um, and they got dominated by North Carolina week one. So, I mean, what is what does that tell you about South Carolina? Um, I know the transitive property doesn't always work, but it, Tennessee has not looked dominant. They have not looked great in any single game, and their main competition against Florida, they looked really bad. They got dominated. So why are you insisting on ranking them? Because listen, they have every opportunity to work their way back up. They have every opportunity to get into the college football playoff if they um, win out. And if they do that, I have no problem recognizing them when they have earned it. Um, like they have games coming up against Texas A&M, Alabama, and Kentucky in successive weeks. If they go three and zero, yeah, I have no problem with top with Tennessee even being a top ten team. But from what I've seen so far this season, they are not a top twenty five team. And it's just the AP pollers when they get down to um, that group of teams between like twenty and forty, where there's you know a big gap, a lot of different teams you could rank. It's just oh, let me just close my eyes, stick my hand in the bucket of sec schools and pull out a name oh it's tennessee yeah that sounds good um and it's the same thing with lsu you know they got dominated in that second half against florida state um and no hate on florida state at all they deserve to be a top five team but they haven't looked necessarily dominant um you know since that game it's not like you know with oregon last year they got absolutely blown out by oregon in the opener but it was a game you could almost forgive as the season went on because we saw that oregon i mean Georgia really was that dominant. Um, it's not the case with Florida State. And then they just lost to Ole Miss, gave up 55 points to Ole Miss. Um, so I, it's not like you can say that was a really quality loss. It's not like you can say, I mean, man, they played a really good team and they should have won or anything like that. They gave up 55 points. 
Um, and then look at their three wins against Grambling, against Mississippi State, and against Arkansas. Listen, they looked really good in that road win against Mississippi State. But that's one in their, Mississippi State's in the bottom half of the SEC, as, I, as far as I'm concerned. Grambling, okay, you can't take anything away from that game. And then they almost lost to Arkansas. They won by three points. So it's just where, what have we seen from LSU so far that despite two losses, you think they deserve to be ranked over a 5-0 and Maryland team? I don't see it at all. And it's just, it's sickening because you can, the AP poll can maybe justify some of the times they've, you know, favorited the SEC in years past, but anyone who's watched college football this season can tell you the SEC is not as strong as it's been. So this is not the season to just be randomly picking SEC teams to throw um, into the AP poll. And what also doesn't make sense is... Ole Miss being the 16th ranked team at four and one, you know, they got dominated pretty thoroughly by Alabama. It was only 14 points, but you know, they were really never in contention there. Um, and they're ahead of undefeated teams like Kentucky and Missouri and, you know, Kentucky and Missouri have good wins, um, that they can hang their hat on. Kentucky just blew out Florida. Missouri beat Kansas state. Um, Ole Miss doesn't have that signature win right now. So it's just, it's just nonsensical. At that point, that's not SEC favoritism. That's just the AP pollers do not watch the games. I guess they skim over some scores and they try to come up with the rankings based off of that. I don't know. I'm confused. And it's just annoying that the media continues to prop up the AP poll like it means anything when it's just illustrating uh, a wrong picture of what the college football landscape is. I mean, the SEC has more teams ranked than any conference right now, and that should not be the case. Um, the floor slap top 25, which is my um, unbiased opinion, the most accurate top 25 you can read. Um, the SEC, ACC, and Pac-12 all have five teams. The Big Ten has four. And I think that kind of illustrates what the dynamic is between conferences. Um, it's just, it's frustrating. And, you know, I do my monologues every weekend. This is what I decided I wanted to talk about, how annoying the AP poll is. And I doubt it will be the last time you hear me complain about it. The last thing I want to touch on before we preview week six um, is about the USC Trojans because, you know, they jumped out to a lead really quickly against Colorado's 41-14. Looks like it was going to go very similarly to how the Oregon game went. Um, but I kind of, I didn't get to watch the game live. I watched the highlights yesterday, but as I was following the score on my phone, I just couldn't help but get this feeling, you know, USC is going to let Colorado get back into this game. And lo and behold, they did. And it was a lot of just busted coverages. Um, it was a lot of USC not being able to get a push against that offensive line. Um, like we've seen a lot. And I've just, I've seen enough out of USC because, you know, they, they gave up a lot of, a lot of points and a lot of yards against San Jose State in the opener. They struggled with Arizona State, a team that got shut out by Fresno State. And now they let Colorado hang around because they just could not get off the field defensively. Um, and so I just cannot believe, I mean, despite how great Caleb Williams is and despite how many points I know this Trojan offense can put up with Lincoln Riley, um, I just cannot imagine a scenario where USC can go up against these powerhouses that have great offenses and great defenses um, and win a game in the college football playoff. And I have my doubts that they can get through this rest of this Pac-12 schedule with fewer than two losses. Because um, as I've been talking about all season long, as a lot of people have been saying, this is the most wide open season of college football we have seen at least since 2007. Um, and as it stands right now, there are 11 teams that I can absolutely see getting to the college football playoff and winning a game. That's Ohio State, Texas, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, Georgia, Penn State, Oregon, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Notre Dame. Those are the 11 teams in my eyes that I think can get to the playoff and win a game. And I'm not including USC in that um, because of this defense. I've seen enough. I mean, it's, I know Caleb Williams can be great. And you know what? I could be proven wrong because as I've also said this season, there's no dominant team in college football. Maybe this is the season um, like Cam Newton-esque where one, one player can carry a team to a national championship, but um, I think I've seen enough from them. That defense is is a real problem, and I think they're going to stub their foot um, more than once as they get through this gauntlet of a Pac-12 schedule. And they will likely have to, you know, maybe if they get to the Pac-12 championship, they'll have to play a team like Washington twice. Um, and that, it's just, I said this uh, after week zero, after I saw their performance against Fres um, 
San Jose State. This just doesn't look like a national championship contender to me. There's plenty of other teams that I've seen glimpses of. I'm like, how this team could do something special. Um, and I haven't seen it from USC because of that defense. So until they get that fixed, which, you know, you think they will in time because Lincoln Riley is recruiting really well. But, um, you know, despite the greatness of Caleb Williams, I just don't think this is the season for USC. Oh. Okay, so now we can finally get into previewing these week six games. Um, again, bye weeks are finally starting to hit. We only have six Big Ten games this weekend, and one of them is Howard at Northwestern. There's not even a line available for that game. Should be an easy win for Northwestern to get their third win of the year. Um, so once again, my five locks are going to cover the really five main Big Ten games of the weekend. So I'll do what I did last weekend, kind of go into what I'm looking for in this game and my pick and why I think that. I uh, will kick things off with um, what I think is probably the most underrated matchup of the weekend. That's Rutgers at Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin opened up as 13-point favorites. It's up to 14 now. Um, Over-under is set at 44.5. That's down two points from where I opened at 46. Um, and this is a tough one because, you know, Rutgers wants to run the ball and control the clock. We know that. That's their MO. That's how they've been winning all season long. Um, but the Badgers have a really good run defense. It's really their secondary that's susceptible. Um, so we may see Gavin Wimsatt scramble a lot and make up the majority of the rushing production with his own legs because we saw how much Wisconsin struggled to contain Cam Ward. But I just have a hard time imagining Rutgers being capable of really challenging this Wisconsin secondary. And then on the flip side... Um, <clears throat> Rutgers also has a great run defense and does not miss many tackles. They're one of the more sure tackling uh, teams in the country right now. And I think you can take the top top off this Rutgers defense, but that's not exactly Wisconsin's strength, at least right now at this point in the season. Tanner Mordecai, um, his average depth of throw is not very deep. He's much more of a, a dinker and a dunker. He's gotten better as the season has progressed. Um, but in my eyes, it seems like each of these defenses has an answer for what the other offense wants to do. Um, Wisconsin is coming off of a bye week, so that kind of makes me think that you know, they might show different offensive looks and maybe they will be willing to take more deep shots and open up this offense a little bit more. Um, but this is also a very opportunistic Rutgers defense. So if Wisconsin chooses to do that, if they decide to air it out early, they could dig themselves an early hole. Um, if it does, if they do go that route and it doesn't work out. So I think Rutgers can keep us close. I mean, they are a very competitive team. This is definitely the best team that Rutgers has fielded since, uh, they've been in the big 10. And I think they're going to, try to possess the ball as much as they possibly can and try to keep the ball out of Tana Mordecai in that offense's hands. Um, that being said, I do think Wisconsin has the quarterback who at the end of the day can make the plays to pull out the win. Um, but I don't think this is going to be a very high scoring affair because of what I said earlier. Um, both of these defenses have answers for what the opponent wants to do on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't think that Gavin Wimsack can really attack this secondary. So I'll take the under. I was tempted to choose Rutgers to cover, but I could see um, Wisconsin and kind of running away with it because, um, you know, Rutgers struggled to defend Michigan's run game, and I think uh, Wisconsin's right up there because, um, you know, their run game has continued to get more efficient as the season has gone on. So, um, covers a tough one. I really like the under at 44.5. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the total for this game is actually under 40 points. Moving on to my second lock, I really like uh, Nebraska plus three and a half at Illinois this Friday. Um, both teams kind of got a short week leading up to this. Um, and for Nebraska, I'm really throwing that Michigan tape out the window. Uh, <laughs> Nebraska was just simply outmatched. I think I kind of uh, took too much stock into some impressive wins over uh, overmatched opponents with Heinrich Harburg at quarterback. Um, that was my mistake, thinking that Nebraska could really keep that game close. But um, now Nebraska faces a team that's simply hapless on the defensive side of the ball. Like I mentioned before, Illinois really isn't doing anything well on that side of the ball, and I really believe in Heinrich Harburg and his ability to take care of the ball, challenge secondaries at least to some degree more than Jeff Sims was doing, um, and make big plays with his legs. Um, this Nebraska defense is simply tougher than the Purdue defense that held Illinois to 19 points, um, so I think there's a really good chance that uh, Nebraska actually pulls this upset. So um, with more than a field goal to give on the under on the underdog side, um, I love Nebraska at plus three and a half. I think that's a slam dunk and um, probably one of the picks, the pick that I'm most confident in heading into the weekend. 
For my third lock, I'm going to move to Columbus, Ohio, where probably the most high-profile matchup of the Big Ten weekend is taking place with the battle of two undefeateds uh, when, with Maryland coming to town. Uh, Ohio State opened up at, I believe it was a 17-point favorite. It's up to 19.5 now, um, and the over-under has gone up a few points. It's sitting at 58.5, and, um, and I like the under in this game, mainly because this Ohio State defense is for real. They've already played teams that can really throw the ball downfield um, in Western Kentucky and Notre Dame, and they silenced both of those aerial attacks. Um, you know, Talia should be able to get his. He's going to make some plays, but I'm 100% confident that their streak of 30-plus points um, is coming to an end this Saturday. Um, and also, Maryland won't be able to run the ball quite as effectively as they have against other opponents against this defense, because I think this is the strength of the Ohio State defense is those defensive tackles and Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg at linebacker. Um, so I think it's going to have to be the Talia Tonga Viola show if Maryland wants to pull off the upset. And on the flip side, uh, Maryland hasn't faced anything close to a challenge like this Buckeye offense before. Um, like I said earlier, it's going to be really, it, it is really hard to get a read on how good Maryland's defense really is. Um, but for Ohio State, offensively, I am a little concerned about them, one, coming off of that emotional win. Even with that bye week in between, it's going to be natural for them to come out a little bit sluggish, especially with Maryland, you know, coming out probably firing on all cylinders because they are going to be hyped up for this game. You can guarantee that. But also, traditionally, under Ryan Day, Ohio State has come off kind of quietly off after bye weeks. A lot of times they aren't the same team before and after the bye week. Um, this bye week has hit earlier than it has in seasons past, which I think benefits Ohio State state. Um, but like I said, Maryland is going to come out swinging, so I could see a slow start from the Buckeye offense. So Vegas is predicting this to be a, about a 38-20-ish to 20 -ish game, um, so that line is too close for my liking. I think this is going to be a close game going into halftime. I could see this being something like a 14-10 type, 14 to 10 type game at halftime, um, but that that line scares me a little bit, mainly because I think Maryland can keep us close, but at the same time, the Ohio State offense is so explosive, they could easily put up 21 points on a quarter and make you know, a 10-point game, a 31-point game, um, like with a snap of a finger. So um, I ultimately think Ohio State keeps Maryland's offense in check. I'm that confident in this Buckeye defense. So, um, you know, this 14-10 type game that I'm expecting at halftime, I think they uh, Ohio State will slowly suffocate Maryland to win somewhere in that 31-17 to range. So I really like the under just because, you know, I don't think... You know, they put Ohio State put up 63 points against Western Kentucky. That's definitely going to be their season high um, for the year. This isn't just the, the offense that's going to be lighting teams up. They're going to really, they're trying to run the ball a lot more than they have in years past. And, you know, Kyle McCord's great when he has to be, um, but he's definitely not CJ Stroud. So, um, under 58 and a half, it very well could be going up because I think a lot of betters are just looking at, you know, Ohio State traditionally has a great offense. Maryland has one of the three best offenses in the Big Ten statistically through five games. So I think naturally it's just going to be a lot of betters picking that over. Um, but I like the under. Um, I'm going to fade the public in this. My fourth lock is going to take us to uh, Iowa, where Purdue is a one and a half point underdog on the road. Um, and I really like Purdue not only to cover that one point spread, but to get the win. Because like I mentioned before in this episode, I really like what I've seen out of Purdue the past six quarters. And for the most part, what I've seen out of them the majority of the season, out of that, uh, outside of that second half against Syracuse and that first half against Wisconsin, I mean this cap this offense is capable of putting up points on Iowa because they are finally becoming a truly balanced offense. And you know, I know everyone looks at Iowa and just thinks defense, thinks that under is going to hit, thinks that they're going to keep everyone below twenty points. But this is not the same defense as last year. Um, and honestly, I think this game will ultimately come down to turnovers because if Hudson Card takes care of the ball, Purdue wins. Um, I think maybe maybe even running away. Um, but it is hard to bet against this Iowa defense not forcing some turnovers because that's been their MO um, for a really long time under Kirk Ferentz. So I think last week's win for Purdue was a huge momentum shifter, that dominant win over Illinois, huge momentum shifter for this program, and I think they're going to go into this game ready to pull off the upset. This will be really Ryan Walter's first signature win uh, as the Boilermakers head coach. Um, and yes, you can run the ball on Purdue, but Iowa can't run the ball very well. Like, 
you know, maybe Deacon's Deacon Hill's legs will come into play. He's a really big guy. He's athletic. So I don't really know what to expect from him. But from what I've seen from him so far, he doesn't give me a lot of confidence. And, you know, this is an Iowa offense that's been dismal with a veteran quarterback in Cade McNamara. And in Deacon Hill's first start, um, against a, a 3-3-5 defense that, granted, it has been susceptible to big plays so far this year, but they are kind of turning things around. And as far as a defense that you have to sit back and read and find the mismatches in, um, that's, a, that's a tough challenge for, for your first collegiate start. Um, so it re- this game really comes down to the, the trend I've seen with Purdue and just me having no, no faith in this Iowa offense. Um, I believe in the direction of Purdue under Ryan Walters, so I'll take Purdue to pull off the road upset um, at Iowa. And my final lock will be the nightcap on NBC, Michigan traveling to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Um, and this line has been standing packed at 19 and a half. I haven't seen very much movement. Um, and I like Michigan to cover running away because like I mentioned, Minnesota needs to start playing ugly like they did last weekend. Um, just running the ball play after play and trying to control the clock. But, you know, and I think that's a recipe for success against a lot of those Big Ten West teams. But unfortunately, Michigan is a really, really bad team to go up against with that strategy Um, because Michigan takes care of the ball offensively outside of that one game a few weeks ago where J.J. McCarthy was really sloppy. uh, They really haven't turned the ball over very much. And their offensive line is finally starting to get into a rhythm. Um, So, I really don't see Minnesota getting those turnovers that they need in order to stay competitive. Uh, Minnesota won't be able to run the ball like they did last week. I think they're going to have a hard time picking up first downs, meaning at some point in this game, whenever Michigan finally does get that lead, Ethan Kalik-Manis is going to have to throw. Um, and when he does, he's going to make mistakes. Um, so I think you know Michigan is hitting their stride as a football team. They finally look like a potential number one team in the country. And Minnesota is just so far out of their class, outside of Michigan's realm, as far as their coaching and talent goes. Um, so this line looks like it's going to stay at 19 and a half. I think Michigan wins by three touchdowns at least. I think we're going to start Michigan, start to really reel out some blowouts um, as they continue through this cupcake schedule until they play Penn State in November. And that'll do it for uh, the week six episode of the Floor Slaps College Football Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed listening along with me and really hope you could um, bear my sick voice a little bit. Um, and I really hope that we have some more competitive games this weekend. I think we really will. I think Ohio State, Maryland has a chance to be a great game, as well as Purdue, Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, Rutgers, uh, Wisconsin. All of them could end up being really great games. So hope you all have an opportunity to sit back and enjoy some college football. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at the Floor Slap and catch us on our website where we post articles every week, thefloorslap.com. And I will catch you guys in the same place next week for another episode of the Floor Slap's College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening.